Hey there, thank you for joining us here at the Momfluentials podcast, where moms meet up to talk about how we use our influence and power, what we have in common, what we defer on, and how we can all work together for a healthier and more sustainable future for ourselves and our children. I'm Kimberly Pinkson, your host today, and I'm so, so happy you're here with me to meet our next fabulous guest and mom of influence. Today's guest is my dear friend, Kisa Ocampo, an Emmy Award-winning producer and creator who is an expert in multicultural media development and PR. She manages the design, launch, and sustainability of projects from ground zero ideation to production and marketing, with a focus on growing audiences on digital platforms and social media. Kisa's work has been recognized by the ProMax BDA, Cable Faxes, Synopsis, Telly, New York Festivals, and as I mentioned, but certainly can be stated again, the Emmy Awards. Kisa is motivated and motivating. She has expertise in political and charitable fundraising, was appointed a commissioner on the San Mateo County Commission on the Status of Women, and has also been recognized as one of the most influential Filipinas in America. Today, she is also an expectant mom with her first child on his way. I won't say his name because I don't know if you've officially you know, gone public with that yet. Kisa, I'm so honored to welcome you here today and thank you so much for making the time. I'm so excited to be one of your first guests. Um, I know it's going to be a wonderful conversation, so I can't wait. Thank you. Thank you. I was thinking back, uh, reflecting on the first time that you met. It was when you joined our 1010 women's group. And I remember being immediately touched by your mix of almost like childish innocence and positive enthusiasm, which honestly, at first I was like, is she for real? Like she's so happy and positive and sparkly. And then I saw that it was combined with this like deep wisdom as a woman. And, and you just, well, as the name of your company, We Spark, you said, you just sparkled. So um, I want to back up for a minute to your childhood. And uh, were you as sparkly then as you are now? Oh, that, it's such a loaded first question. <laughs> because, you know, um, as I am, I'm currently in the third trimester of my first pregnancy. And um, something that's been showing up very frequently has actually been, interestingly enough, nightmares. And I think that so much of it has really just been the unpacking of my own, um, I want to say, like, just like fears that come from my childhood. Yeah. Um, in a way, my childhood, there were parts of it that were so, like, unreal, awesome, because, you know, part of that was spent in the Philippines and I grew up with a political family. So, you know, at the early age of like 11, we were thrust into the entertainment and, you know, almost like the carnival that is Philippine politics. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, so much of that was also spent, um, you know, I wanna say like in the shadow of tremendous abuse. Mm Um, I was sexually molested at the age. It started when I was around two years old. And, you know, so much of that I didn't really understand until I was sexually assaulted by the same person when I was 16. And this is something that's really, you know, and I've gone to therapy. Um, I've done amazing trauma therapy with a, you know, a wonderful woman out here in California. But there are parts of it, I think, as, you know, as I approach um, the reality of becoming a mother soon, that it's almost like 
I think maybe my subconscious almost um, nudging me and reminding me, you know, like, how much can I actually do to protect my son, you know, and, um, and am I, am I truly showing up the whole person that I thought I was prior to pregnancy? (laughs) Right. It It really shifts you, doesn't it? So much. Yeah. 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 But um, I want to say that all those things aside, I was always a very imaginative, um, dramatic, (laughs) um, excitable young kid. Mm -hmm. Um, I was family entertainment because I used to sing when I was little and I went to music school. And so I can see, you know, people's (laughs) birthdays, they would always make me sing and I loved it. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so yes and no. Yeah, yeah. I can I can definitely see little Kisa in the middle of the circle and are keeping the whole family and anybody else who happened to be in the room entertained. <laughs> can you think that that's also maybe like an eldest child thing? Maybe, maybe. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I certainly don't want to, you know, um hurry over over that trauma that you that you brought up and, and shared. And you've been so courageous in, in um, confronting that and addressing it and using it, I think, as inspiration to make a positive impact in people's lives. So I just really honor you for that. And it's interesting to hear you talk about that experience now as a mother yourself, um, because I, I remember hearing that like when I was pregnant about how becoming a parent like gives you an opportunity to heal some of the wounds that you carry through from your own, you know, childhood. Um, and it, it's, it's really interesting. There's also, I, I joke with like my mom and my sister and, and, you know, other mom friends that it's like the second you get pregnant, I swear to God, they like inject your thigh with some sort of like, what if worry, oh my gosh, gene. And I mean, I, <laughs> right. And I know that it's, you know, it's genetics because that's how we keep the, you know, our species alive is that drive to protect. Um, so it is strong and, and it'll certainly be, um, you know, fun to watch you grow. I'm, I'm already curious about some projects you've got on the way, but we'll get to that later. Um, let's go back a little bit, um, you know, to your childhood again. And, and how old were you when you left the Philippines? So I was actually born in California. Oh, I forgot that. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we moved to the Philippines when I was around seven, eight years old. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, every summer or Christmas break was spent out here because, you know, we have family um, out here in in the United States. And I moved back here permanently when I was 24. Was it 24 or 26? I forget. Right around there. Yeah. Yeah. So you really, your whole life, you've been very multicultural and, and had that sense of global interconnection and identities in both places and with both cultures. Very much so. And at the same time, also feeling like I didn't belong in either place. Yeah. Yeah. Can you share a little bit more about that? Like how you think yeah, that um, impacts you? I remember when I was really little, when we had first moved to the Philippines, I would get teased and um, to a point like bullied because I did not speak the language, you know, and there were people that would call me Kana, which is short for Americana, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And it was very like, you know, I didn't really know what they were talking about. I couldn't understand and it was mean, you know, Um, and it didn't only come from other kids, but it also came from adults, um, you know, employees of my family and 
etc. Um, and I would hear a lot of these things, but at the same time, when I would come over here, you know, and at this point, I had already learned um, how to speak and write fluently in Filipino. Um, I had an accent, right? So mm -hmm. there were certain things that um, I just, you know, I was neither Filipino nor American enough um, to just like fit in, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but at the same time, it felt like such a unique position to be in because I had enough of an understanding of both worlds, mm -hmm. um, you know, in as much as I love to eat certain things with my hands, I also loved boxed mac and cheese, you know? <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> and, um, you know, uh, I think that just really gave it a very interesting aspect to my perspective in life. And this especially became true as I grew older mm -hmm. because yeah. when things kind of showed up. It's almost like my lens was not one dimensional or, or even like one way. Right. right? It was it's always beautiful. like, I get it. I get it from, you know, um, from a person of color immigrant lens, but I very much identify as American mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I get it as an American, you know what I mean? And so, yeah, yeah I think that made it very unique. Yeah, yeah. It's so interesting how oftentimes in, in our childhoods, we're almost like embarrassed or ashamed of our differences. Um, and certainly other kids, you know, tease us about those um, as you experienced. And, and, and I mean, this is so silly, but, but I grew up here in California and I'm Caucasian. Um, my mom is a, a, a refugee from the Hungarian Revolution in 1956, but I grew up in America, um, in California, but I had pitch black hair when I was a little kid. And everyone around me had like light blonde or, or light brown hair. And, and I got teased for it, you know? So it's like everything that's different when you're little, then as you get older, you start to realize like that, that's part of your power. You know, I remember also, um, being younger and you know my dad's very involved as you know in like indigenous spirituality and and so sometimes being embarrassed about some of the the ways that he prayed you know and the feathers that he had around the house and the different you know shamanic um totems if you will and then as i got older i realized wow this is really cool to have this broad expanse of information accessible to me as a human being and it becomes part of of who you are and and then it gives you, I love how you said that, it gives you just such a broader lens. That's that's really beautiful um, and powerful. Um, it reminds me of, uh, we were just on a recent group text exchange and um, we are talking about the most respectful and inclusive term for women, the concept of spelling it with an X instead of an A, um, you know, with humans also, since the A, you know, is more being derived from man or men. Um, and, and the you know concepts of pronouns and DEI are integrally tied in with what who you are and and what inspired you to found we spark um, and I love how when you talk about your work with Re with we spark you talk about redesigning the rules of business what do you mean by that I think it's it'll be difficult to understand without giving it a little bit of um, context of my background I spent around 17 years in um, multicultural media. And I recall very clearly that, you know, during the time when Me Too, the Me Too movement, um, all of a sudden was, you know, on the daily headlines, right? 
I remember taking a look at many, again, Caucasian women in the media um, coming out and calling people out. And, um, you know, there was such a, just almost like a, everyone was rallying around them, right? Mm-hmm. Well, the way that that kind of showed up for me was, yay them, but I could mm-hmm. never do this mm-hmm. because the culture within, you know, multicultural media and specifically within my company, if I, you know, I mean, because I did try at some point to, you know, take something up with HR and it was either ignored, um, not even written up, <laughs> right? Mm, yeah. Um, kind of the, yeah, thank you, dear. Bye. Pat yeah, on the back. Exactly. And, yeah. you know, I, I recall even um, lobbying in the halls of, you um, you know, Sacramento at the state capitol mm-hmm. when I was joined, when I joined the California Cable and Telecommunications Association, there was a time when we were walking into the offices of assembly members and members of the Senate, and they would ask, you know, representatives of large cable companies asking, you know, what does your commitment to diversity look like? Because, you know, obviously, like I represent, um, you know, this type of constituency. And, you know, Often many of the men would poke fun at me and, you know, I, I get it. They were trying to be funny. They would say, here she is. Right. I was yeah. very often the youngest, the only woman of color in situations like that, you know, and, um, and not to take away from the fact that there were some that were just really wonderful allies and that, mm-hmm. you know, would take me aside and say, don't take that BS, you know, yeah. don't, you know, um, but still the majority, right? The majority of it was still very much um, structured in a way where I felt very othered Mm -hmm. and I felt very tokenized and I felt like someone's way out, someone's excuse, someone's free pass to say like, we're Mm -hmm. doing it, you know? And it didn't feel right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as the universe would have it, um, you know, the pandemic happened in 2020 And I found myself um, about to be laid off with around 70 to 80% um, of the rest of my company because, you know, it was part partially because of the pandemic, but I want to say like in large part because of politics in the Philippines, we were pulled off the air Mm -hmm. and it kind of became a moment of pause for me to think about, okay, well, you know, I'm approaching 40, right? And I still have the second half of my career to think about. And, you know, being given a little bit of a financial runway, right? Like it really, I think, afforded me the time and intent and the space to create the intention to think about how do I now want to spend the second half of my career in a way that is meaningful? Because as we all know, money is important to have it's right it's crucial it's critical it's let's not be hypocrites here but it's also not everything mm-hmm. and at the end of the day what i found to be most rewarding was knowing that i was doing something for the betterment of a, you know the larger society and what that looked like for me was really just making the decision that if i could do this all over if I could do all the things that I am now so good at that I love 
but do it according to my rules within a structure that supports folks like me, um, that does not make, you know, women feel othered or tokenized or, you know, simply looked at as, um, you know, accessories, right? Yeah, yeah. lesser than. Um, yeah, lesser than. Mm -hmm. How yeah. would I do that? Yeah. And yeah. how could I make it profitable? Right. And what I found was that as many other people were, you know, in the same boat, just kind of reevaluating where they were in life and what the circumstances looked like. Because as you, as you know, um, during the time of COVID, it was really about now, um, you know, I want to say like evaluating what was truly important, what really mattered and what were all of the things that you could just kind of do without. Like mm -hmm. when you could only choose to have a bubble of five people, mm -hmm. how much mm -hmm. of that would you just kind of skim off? You know, you know what I mean? Right. And right. So, um, so yeah. I'm honored to have made some of your Zoom calls during <laughs> that time. <laughs> oh my word, of course. Um, you are, you know, you are essential to my, um, my growth and happiness and mm -hmm. just like my feeling whole. Thank you. But, likewise. Um, I think, you know, that's kind of how we spark was born. Mm -hmm. It was born not out of, um, necessity, but more out of, um, heart. It, it felt like a calling. Yeah. Yeah. How else could you make this better? How could you do it differently? And if you could completely rewrite the rules from the very beginning, how would you structure it differently? Mm -hmm. yep. Well, I mean, every day in a way is a, is a new start, right? And so that's a beautiful thing. Um, but you, my dear, have been, have been, you know, you talk about if you could start all over, but really you've been making an impact for so long. Um, Tell me about what led to you receiving the presidential citation for humanitarian work in 2010 in the Philippines. That was actually, um, that was around a time when the Philippines was hit by one of the largest super typhoons and tsunamis mm -hmm. in, um, in recent history. It completely wiped out provinces, brought, you know, acres and acres of palm trees and agriculture to the ground. And it was a place that um, I had, I felt like I had a dotted line to. Mm -hmm. I had, um, you know, members of my extended family that were from that area. And um, what I did was I just kind of defaulted to what I knew, you know, coming off of fundraising politically and fundraising for different nonprofits around the Bay Area, I quickly gathered um, a group of folks and just said, you know, would you help me raise some money? And um, I think the approach was really what made it different. My approach was, this didn't have to be just a Filipino thing. Because when you think about it, what happened in the Philippines, which was in all ways, an ecological imbalance, right? It's something that affects all of us. And, um, you know, it, we were very lucky that we were able to raise a whole bunch of money, raise so much awareness. As a matter of fact, I wanna say that a big chunk of the media that made it out to California and ergo to the United States came from our group, which was really wonderful. Hmm. Um, and so that was it. You know, it was a, 
I think it was just kind of like a, an effort of like little engine that could, right? Like yeah. if I could do something, what could I do today? And how quickly can I get it done? Yeah. Because in those moments, very often timing is everything because, you know, mm-hmm. life is um, literally like slipping away for so many, Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, imagine yourself without a home for a day right. and imagine what that could be like for three days, a week, a month, right? Or clean water or food. Exactly, right? You know, food for your children, water. Yeah. 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 And yeah. so, um, absolutely. That was it. I, yeah. you know, little engine that could. Yep. Well, you are, <laughs> you are definitely, you see, you see, it, see something. I, lo- I love how you said you just followed the dotted line. Um, it seems like the, the dotted line for you comes out of your heart and, and goes like, okay, where does, where do I need to go next? And it seems like a pretty um, good barometer. It leads you well. What, uh, what first piqued your interest in media and entertainment? Do you think that was, was, as you said, sort of the, the entertainment of, um, or the, what did you call it? The circus of, of the politics of your youth oh, that you witnessed? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. Um, because all of my childhood, my father was very adamant about me just kind of following a medical career. He wanted me to be a doctor. He was actually very specific. He wasn't mm-hmm. just a doctor. Mm-hmm. He would tell people that I was going to be a heart surgeon. Oh, Very wow. specific. Oh my gosh. Wait, that gives me goosebumps because I feel like you are in a way a heart surgeon. Like I was, what I was just saying about you follow the heart of the dotted line that comes right out of your heart and you go to where healing needs to happen. Word. That is crazy. That is crazy. <laughs> I just tell my dad. <laughs> It'll make me very happy. No, but um, I, so, you know, I have a degree in pre-med mm-hmm. and um, when I was done with that in the Philippines, I applied for a couple um, medical schools and everything was all set. And then I remember, um, you know, I had a couple internships, right, where I was at one point, um, you know, I was working with young kids with learning disability. I was also um, assigned at one point to um, what they call in the Philippines, it's the Philippine Mental Hospital. So a lot of people that had, um, you know, developmental and psychological um, challenges that they were facing. And I remember speaking to a couple doctors from my family, people that I met, and everything was telling me, this is not for you. Mm. And so I remember one day just telling my father that I didn't want to do it, that I was not going to go to med school. Um, He was heartbroken. Yeah, that must have taken, that takes a lot of courage. He was extremely heartbroken. Yeah. And, um, you know, so what I did was I took a look at um, just kind of online, what were the top 50 corporations in the Philippines where I could now find a job? (laughs) Uh I I didn't know what I was going to do. Yeah. I swear to God, Kimberly, everything looked so boring, (laughs) except for the TV network. Mm -hmm. And so I just decided one day, you know what, I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to go. Who knows what's out there? But um, I had no appointment. I didn't know of anyone in there. I walked in the guard for, you know, to point me in the direction of, you know, because I'm I'm here to apply for a job. I was so confused. (laughs) And he just pointed me to the ninth, I remember the ninth floor. 
I walked in and, you know, just very confidently, I was like, I'm here to apply for a job. And they're like, oh, are you an attorney? Because I landed at the legal department. I was like, no. I'm like, oh, well, you may want to walk down the hall to PR. Mm -hmm. I did the same thing. I'm like, okay. Who can I speak with today? Right? Yeah. yeah. And in five minutes, I was seen by their senior vice president. I was offered a job that very same day. Oh, my gosh. And the rest is history. Yeah. (laughs) 17 17 years of my life with that company. I grew up with them. I found myself there, um, you know, and when I say found myself, it wasn't even just about like growing up and growing into myself, but discovering my, it's almost like capacity to do, a, to do so mm-hmm. many different things, mm-hmm. you know, things that mm-hmm. I never even imagined that I would be doing, directing yeah. for television. Who would have known, you know? Right. right. Who would have known? <laughs> Who would have known? Talk us through the the moment you won your first Emmy. Oh, that was so much fun. Um, you know, the the project that I got assigned was to film a handbag designer out of New York. Mm-hmm. Name's Rafi Totenko. Mm-hmm. He's an incredibly talented um, artisan, is what I want to call him. Mm-hmm. And I remember it was my first time to direct. I mean, I'm sorry, not to direct, but to produce. Okay. And when my boss told me that I was going to get sent to do this, I thought I heard wrong because I thought, produce? I've never done that before. Like, you know, I'm in PR. (laughs) Um, But she encouraged me to, you know, to sit with some of the folks that were working in production. I got a two-week just intensive kind of training. And before I knew it, now, had you expressed any interest in getting into production or she just saw something in you? I think she saw something. And, okay. mm-hmm. I, you know, that was the beauty of um, of this particular female mentor of mine. Mm, yeah. um, just being able to kind of see even beyond what I thought was possible for myself. Um, but going back to the story, um, before I knew it, I was sent to New York in the middle of what they called then the polar vortex. Do you remember that? Like really, really cold time in New York. And I remember um, I had two cameramen. I was holding up umbrellas over both of them because it started to, it was almost like, I don't even know if it was rain or snow, but it was definitely something really, really cold and wet and mm-hmm. painful to the touch, right? Like when it landed on your cheek, like it hurt, but I was holding umbrellas over both of them. And I remember crying, thinking to myself, I'm going to fail. I'm being set up for failure. This is so oh. hard. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. Imposter yeah. syndrome, right? Mm-hmm. But the one thing that I promised myself was that I was going to work 10 times harder than everyone else expected mm-hmm. me to, because in the eyes of many people, I didn't have a rightful spot on a production team. Mm-hmm. I didn't go to school for it. I never trained for it. Um, you know, who am I to, who, who was I to get sent to, on this awesome project? Right. Yeah. Yeah. But um, it turned out that we did pretty well. It was my first assignment to produce for television. And we won the first Emmy for, Um, a channel called the Lifestyle Network, and it really put us on the map. It was the start of many accolades for the channel. You know, people didn't know who we were or where we came from. And all of a sudden, we were turning in work that was competing with some of the best in the country. And so it was wonderful. But I have to say that um, anytime you, 
we meet anyone who wins an Emmy or an Oscar or a Grammy even, that it's it really and truly is so much about the team that you're in, mm-hmm. right? Because yeah. if you have one member of the team that is underperforming or that doesn't doesn't get it or that just doesn't feel as attached to you know um, a successful endeavor and um, end goal, then it pulls the entire team down. And so I I think that I was tremendously blessed to be able to work with some of the finest people in the industry. And I'm so proud to say that, my God, they're all Filipino. Yeah. Can you you give a shout out to that, to the uh, channel that you were working with? Yeah. um, So the name of the company is ABS-CBN International. We won this for the Lifestyle Network. Right. Okay. Just want to, and if there's any names, of course, you can can always mention those. But then the oh, problem with starting, you, like, I can tell you right off the bat. So that yeah. particular project, I went to New York and I filmed with Joe Perry and Jeremiah Esip, and it was edited by John Santos, our motion graphics designer Albert Chung, and my mentor within production. Her name's Pia Lopez Baños. Mm. I mean. Even just like the little things, like telling me as a producer, pay attention to this, Mm -hmm. you know, um, as a producer, be sure that you listen more than you speak, that you, you know, just those little things. And um, I had this little notebook, it's probably somewhere still here. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I had all sorts of these little scribbles, you know, just, it was a great time. Yeah. Gosh, you hit on so many, so many topics that I feel like we could spin off and just talk for hours on, on any of those imposter syndrome. Um, and how, I mean, gosh, that's, I feel like it's even more, more common in, in women and, and that holds us back so much. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the team and what do you think, um, what do you think like are keys to building a successful, not just a production team, because I think the, the qualities are going to carry over to whatever type of team you're, you're building. So what do you think are some of the key qualities to to creating a successful team and leading a successful team? That's a great question. Um, I want to say that, you know, especially where I am right now, I don't necessarily hyper focus on bringing in folks that have that have mastered every skill that I need to complete a project. Mm. Because skills can always be taught. I learned that firsthand, right? I didn't yeah. know anything about it. Right, from your mentor. But I came to work with an attitude of like, teach me, how can I do better, right? Yeah, yeah. And so I think that attitude is really um, the biggest thing. Like, how willing are people to learn and improve and fail early And then pick themselves up after that, right? But the second thing too is really understanding the goal of a project and then being able to match what it takes with the people that you bring in. Mm -hmm. And then ultimately, I think, you know, it, it always becomes a good thing when as a leader, you're able to encourage people and create an environment where everyone feels like they're allowed to show up as their best. Mm, yeah. Because a lot of the time when people fail at something, right, or, you know, whatever it is, very often I always remember something that um, another mentor of mine told me a while back. 
very often in life, in your relationships, you know, whether they're friendships or work relationships within a team, you will find yourself at a crossroads very often. And when you get to that crossroad, the question is going to be, will you lead with trust or will you lead with doubt? Will you lead with love or will you lead with fear? Because my belief is that there is no one that wakes up in the morning right? And thinks to themselves, today, I'm about to fuck up in the worst way that I possibly can, (laughs) right? Right, right. Very often when mistakes are made, it's because people either are not clear about their role, um, they're not feeling encouraged enough, or they don't have enough of the resources or support that they need. So that kind of comes back to you as a leader, right? Um, Right. I think so much of it has to do with just like clarity of thought, being very thorough and clear in communication and really treating everyone like they are not a commodity and they are not a resource, but rather they are people that have much to contribute with also like with other things in their lives going on. Love that. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want one dimensional people. No. And yeah, you don't yeah. want that. That's boring. Who wants right. Right. That, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you, you've mentioned a couple of times here about your mentors, and I'm curious if you, like, you know, that that saying about like luck being a combination of um, preparedness and hard work, I think, right? So you've been lucky to have a couple of really excellent mentors. What do you think you've done that prepared you to see or to seize the opportunity to have these these women as mentors? I want to say that a big part of it really came with the company that I worked with, um, Mm -hmm. with the TVs, with the TV network. Mm -hmm. It just so happened that, you know, um, and I want to say it goes both ways, right? There was always, there was always a mentor that presented themselves, um, either intentionally or unintentionally. But I, I really think a big chunk of it was my attitude of just like not giving up. And whenever I felt misunderstood or not heard that I didn't just cower and go back to my desk and think to myself, you know, I'll just take the paycheck and F this. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You wanted was, to grow. Totally. Like, yeah. you know, and I, I wanted to become better. I mm-hmm. wanted to level mm-hmm. up. Yep. Um, but I think that in large part, when you ask people, for help or when you ask people to teach you something, they will mm-hmm. usually say yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even if it's just like smaller increments of time, like maybe it's not as much as you need, but if you ask people, like even if it's just like, you know, a 30-minute weekly check-in or, you know, do do you have time for like a monthly, like hour deep dive? Right, right. Or whatever it is. Um, or, you know, can we exchange emails and can we in the right direction? Yeah. So often it's really just the courage to ask. Totally. Yeah. And don't you find, Kimberly, that people are usually very open to that, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I think, I mean, most people are, you know, intrinsically good and they want to do good in in the world and for other people in their lives. And so if, if given the opportunity and, and it's an honor when you get asked, because then it, it's, it's an honor and a responsibility because then you have to look back and think, well, okay, what, what do I know? What can I share? And what, what gift can I pay forward? And now you're, you, you yourself are a good mentor to so many people. Um, what do you think has, has, um, 
What do you think is different about what drove you in your past and what drives you today? I think that previously, because I was, you know, in my 20s and early 30s in a new country where I didn't really have a lot of history, um, I wanted to have fun. <laughs> I wanted to explore. I wanted to learn things, not just about life here, but about myself. Mm. Um, you know, and there's really no other way to learn that than by doing and by trying, right? And I think it's changed a lot for me now because my goals in life are different. They've shifted. Um, instead of um, being a contributor, I wanted to become a builder. Mm. Um, and, you know, being a contributor and finding happiness there is, um, it's wonderful. Mm -hmm. But I think it just shifted for me. And mm -hmm. again, you know, we were talking earlier about like, even in the way that you um, have, that you have, um, you know, you have the ancestry of Hungarian refugees and, you know, um, having just kind of like that multidimensional aspect to you, there's almost something about like, I want to change the bloodline. I want to change mm. the story. I want to tell it by by taking the pen and writing the story myself. Mm, mm -hmm, and I think there's, mm -hmm. there's almost something of that, um, you know, there's something of that magic that just kind of like lit up in me. And at the same time, you know, now um, expecting my first child, mm -hmm. so much of it too is, you know, I mean, let's face it, it's such a scary world right now. Yeah, yeah. There's so many things. I mean, and no challenge is less than the next, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Food insecurity is just as real and just as scary as what's happening in Ukraine. Yeah. What we are experiencing politically in the United States is no different from the challenge of, you know, of gentrification and mm -hmm. the very real threat of climate change. Yeah. And so when I think about the world that my son is going to be brought into, so much of it is just like, again, right? Like I'm defaulting to what I know because what else can I do? Yeah. My milieu of influence mm -hmm. within my physical capability and power that I can somehow contribute to making it better for him. Yeah, yeah. Amen. No question. You are and you and you do, which um, leads right into the question and, and this term that, that I've often used of being a momfluential. And it's, of course, a combination of mom and, and influence and, and how you're using that. Um, you've already been called one of the most influential Filipinos in America. Um, now, I venture to say you're going to be one of the most influential moms, certainly in your little boy's life. Um, what are like when you think about using this power and where it comes from and, and those of our listeners that, you know, that may not be aware of this, I just want to, um, you know, emphasize how women hold 85% of purchasing power. And so the companies that rule the world in tangent with the polished politicians like that's huge, you know, if you're not supporting them that that has ripple effect to impact, you know, supply chains and, and just lives around the world, right? Um, 2.4 trillion 
of um, an American mom spending power. Um, pundits, you know, political pundits who are developing campaigns, as you know, right, they call us the soccer moms or the Walmart moms, the security moms, and, and more and more females are, um, more women are in college and more uh, voters in America are women than men. So we, we hold a tremendous amount of power. So when you think about the three areas that you really feel at this point that you want to focus on and, and use that power to make an influence, uh, what, what comes to mind right now? I want to say business is definitely one mm -hmm. because I think that business reimagined, and when I say reimagined, um, designed in a way that it is not only led by women, but that it has women around the decision-making table that um, we market for women and with women in mind. Um, and their needs in mind, I think that it'll completely just shift the way that our economy, you know, the way that the economy works. Yeah, yeah. Um, and also coming from, you know, an entertainment and television background, it changes the messaging so much. When you're now getting messages that do not um, objectify women, that do not, um, you know, profit over the puns mm -hmm. over women, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, it just changes so much of the narrative yeah. and therefore changes what children will say about themselves. Yeah. Um, so I think business is definitely one. And then, you know, I want to say that to the extent that I am able to politically, I, you know, um, I want to be sure that I'm always as best informed as I can be, because we know what we know what the country has looked like when it's taken over by emotions and by falsehoods and false narratives. Yeah, fear. And I want to be sure that if there's if this is the bare minimum that I can do, that I at least do my part to educate myself so that I can choose wisely and exercise my right to vote in a way that counts. Um, I wanna say the other part, this is gonna sound really like boring, <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> but I just wanna continue on my journey to just wholeness because mm. I feel that it is only when we are truly whole and healed that we can be of most use to the world and to other people. There is so much of this, you know, um, age old, and I want to say like misinformed notion that women and mothers especially are kind of like bottomless sources of love and energy and support, right? Mm -hmm. But if we're being real, we're just as human as the next person. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, being able to dedicate that time to myself mm -hmm. um, towards my growth. And when mm -hmm. I say growth, it's not even just about like my healing, but also my spirituality, my physical well-being, mm -hmm. um, and all the things, right, that I can truly show up 
100%, not just for my own family, but for people that rely on me. And more and more, I'm finding that that web is growing. People that are relying on me to push things forward and grow things, you know, and, yeah. and by the way, it, it's not something that's, you know, um, it, it's not because of just like expectation from other people. It, you know, it really has so much to do with just like, you know, the different types of businesses that I, um, that are exciting to me right now, mm-hmm, things mm-hmm. that I'm trying to build, but yeah. I do see it as a responsibility, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Building and growing literally and metaphorically in so many ways. Totally. Gosh, again, you just hit on so many topics that I'm like, oh, should we go there? Should we go there? (laughs) But I also want to be respectful of your time. Um, When you think about, you know, moving on, well, I got to ask one of the questions. It's about spirituality. And and I know spirituality plays a big role in your life. And I'm really interested in the interplay of spirituality and business. You know, we, we lived at a time, we've lived through a time where there was supposedly this like separation of church and state in some countries. Um, including this one here. And then we, we see how that isn't always playing out. Um, there's, we're coming out of, I hope, this very um, patriarchal kind of male, white male dominated culture that has um, led to some of the challenges that we are currently facing on, on so many levels. And, and I think that there's this, this thread of um, spirituality and and didn't belong in business. And yet, if we were talking about ourselves as you were about being whole beings, then for many of us, there is an element of our spirituality. And that is really critical to who we are. So how do you see that that your spirituality plays out in who you are and how you show up as a business leader today? A big part of it is really um, creating the space for myself and other people to just be mm-hmm. um, without judgment, you know, yeah. and, um, and with all respect. Mm. Um, and spirituality, you know, I think is very often um, confused with religion, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Spirituality can show up as process. Mm-hmm. It can show up as, um, you know, how people draw inspiration and um, what they need to be able to recharge and, you know, um, come back from that to be able to show up in their best form. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It could be an art form. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think for me, there, there are very specific areas that I wanted to focus on specifically around the intersection of art and spirituality and mm-hmm. how I wanted to grow that on a global mm-hmm. scale. Yeah. And what are, what are just a couple of the ways that, that you're doing that right now that, that um, our listeners can go check out? Oh, so um, with respect to um, my agency, We Spark, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's been a very intentional process by which I um, I want to say that I sign up for work with um, collaborators and partners. Um, for me, it is a very spiritual process because before I even sign up for anything, I ask the question: What is your what sort of a positive impact are you trying to make in the world? Mm-hmm. And then I kind of come back to my team and I you know and there's really like a litmus test of like 
are we in? Does this feel yeah. good? Does it right. not feel good? Like, you know, like how is it showing up and how do you feel, um, you know, around this work? And mm-hmm. so, you know, it, that's always just kind of been um, my barometer for mm-hmm. how we mm-hmm. take um, partners and clients on. Yeah. But on the other, on the other side of it too, um, you know, and <laughs> I don't know if this is part of nesting or part of like pregnancy, but outside of, um, of delivering, uh, a child into the world in the summer. We're also launching a second business. <laughs> yeah, I wanted um, to ask you about that. I'm so excited about it. Tell um, us about it. We're in development, but it's happening very, very quickly. And mm-hmm. um, I think it's totally okay to share. Okay. Um, we Great. are launching an online retail company that focuses mm-hmm. on home goods and furnishings, um, most of which or I want to say actually all of them are made by either indigenous um, tribes or by mm-hmm. women in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. And so exciting. So cool, right? Yeah. yeah. So stoked. I mean, the thing is too, Kimberly, you know, um, for decades and I don't need probably even more, maybe, I don't, I don't know if centuries would be accurate, but um, for decades, big companies have distributed the same types of products from the Philippines, mm-hmm. but they were rarely Filipino or Filipina owned. Mm. So if you look at the likes of Crate and Barrel, West Elm, mm-hmm. Restoration Hardware, I mean, all of them, right? Like you'll always see things that will say made in the made Philippines. Made in the Philippines. Really? Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. And um, my whole goal was to create a conscious business mm-hmm. that is committed to the shortest possible supply chain, mm-hmm. meaning the line between maker or artisan and buyer, I want mm-hmm. that to be as short as possible. Mm-hmm. Right. You're, you're making that made in the Philippines have more meaning. Like, like what is, what's the depth and who are the people and the environment that is being impacted by that line? Yeah. As a matter of fact, we're going, you know, the extra step to say if we can actually educate people about um, the different tribes from where they come, mm-hmm. or if we can identify, you know, which of the stay at home moms created, you know, some product, we would love to tell their story because so much I Yay. think about what you keep, especially in your home, right? Mm-hmm. Your mm-hmm. home is such an intimate space. And you want to be able to have things that are meaningful, that you can, you know, that are conversation pieces, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. From a purely aesthetic um, uh, standpoint, you know, things in your home should be, should absolutely be statement pieces, conversation pieces. And so Mm -hmm. I think being able to identify who makes it, what it's made of, why it's sustainable, and how you're helping not only the artisans continue their craft Mm -hmm. but how you're helping keep the craft alive yeah yeah I think would be really incredible to do Mm -hmm. and so that's our next venture and we're looking to launch that in June I'm so excited about this uh, this, I mean, as you know, this is a, an area that's dear to my heart with, you know, Eco Mom and the, the company and 
marketplace that that we developed and our whole ecomom approved and you know i loved working with the doctors and scientists and you know we developed a whole 72 point vetting process of you know what made it ecomom approved because it really is like for you like so many people when you become a parent is when you start really going well wait where did that come from and what are we putting you know i used to always say like what are we putting in on and around our bodies and our children's bodies so it's super, super exciting. And I'm just really thrilled because I remember when you first mentioned this as an idea, and I'm just so thrilled that you've pursued it. And I can't wait to see it blossom and, and just the impact that that's going to make. I think it's going to be fantastic. So super, super exciting. A couple more things and then we'll, we'll, we'll let you go here. Um, what are three nuggets of information or footprints that you um, want to leave behind when you are no longer in this body? Mm. that I want to say the first thing is that love transcends time and space. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, the second thing is that there is magic everywhere that you go. You just have to believe in it. It's there. It really truly exists. Oh. And the third thing is that you can manifest anything because as spiritual beings together, we all manifested this universe. And if we can manifest a universe, we can manifest anything. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's beautiful. And you are, you are walking, talking, living, breathing proof of, of those three things. I think you're, you're already doing all that. So thank you. And thank you so much for being here today to talk with me and share your story and wisdom. It's just been such an honor and, um, you are magic and you are manifesting and you are love and I love you and I thank you. And for those who've been inspired by you, because I know they're going to be, can you please tell us where, tell our audience where they can follow you, what social media channels or websites that you want them to know about? Totally. Um, for WeSpark, we'd love to hear from you. We're at WeSpark.co. That's W-E-S-P-A-R-Q.co. And on social media, we're just at WeSpark. Um, our upcoming retail business is actually called Hara. Mm -hmm. I have a great story about the origin of that name, but we will be up um, this summer on houseofhara.com. And we can't wait to welcome everyone to the website and to show you all the amazing things that come from the Philippines. Um, and thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. So I want to so go on a sourcing trip with you too, by the way. So. Oh, my word. <laughs> my dream trip is to go back and just yeah. to do like a whole, you know, like almost like a caravan to visit the islands from north to south and just experience how these indigenous, um, you know, the, the indigenous groups actually create all this art. Yeah. Because it's like generations hmm of weaving and storytelling and music and prayer yeah. that go into a mat. Um, <laughs> this sounds like another Emmy winning TV show, if I don't say so myself, <laughs> like for House of Hara and Kisa's production company, whatever that's going to be called in the future. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again, my dear. And, um, and again, that's WeSpark, W-E-S-P-A-R-Q dot C-O and House of Hara. Thank you, Kisa Ocampo. Mwah. And thank you, too, for joining us here at the Momfluentials podcast, where we're talking about harnessing our collective power for good. 
And we're not just talking about mom social media influencers, but moms who are making seriously positive impact, working toward a more peaceful, regenerative, equitable, and sustainable world for all of our children. Thank you for all you do. Thank you to all of our supporters and partners also. To learn more about our work, visit momfluentials.com and come back soon for more inspiration and fun. Thank you.